tonight at 5 p.m. Here are a list of classes for the adults. The Power of Knowing God by Tony Evans, taught by Ronnie Gillespie. Churches of Revelation, taught by Joe Estes and Corey Bridges. Learning to Be a Leader by Pastor Jack. A New Life Promise, a Health Journey, taught by Lynn McLean. A Chosen Video Series at Paul Margaret Cosette's house. A student ministry will be going through the Three Circles Evangelism Strategy Study. We will also have preschool and children's ministry activities for our children. Our summer mission trips, and we will be once again be going to Venezuela, South Carolina, and partnering with Bruton's Fork Baptist Church on July 17th through 20th. We'll be helping out with VBS and some outreach opportunities. Are you interested in showing up for talent? Well, we have Crossroads Got Talent from the April 10th at 5 p.m. If you're interested in showing off your talent, see Ter Teresa Lipscomb or Joey Estes. Easter at Crossroads. Make plans to join us for our Good Friday service on April 15th at 7 p.m. Our Easter service on Sunday, April 17th. Go ahead and start inviting your family, friends, neighbors for our Easter service. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad you're here. Good morning, Crossroads family. How are you? Good, good, good to see all of you as the choir's coming up. Um, if you are visiting today, we do have a couple QR codes in front of your chair that you can scan. Um, we would love to fill, fill it out um, just so we can get to know who you are. If you don't see one of those, please um, reach out to someone before you leave. We would love to just to chat with you. But let's go ahead and pray before the choir leads us in worship, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Um, Thank you for the ability to come together, Lord, and just fellowship and worship you. Um, this day is about you, God, and I pray that uh, you get all the glory and all the honor, Lord. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.
Good morning. It is good to see you this morning, and uh, let me add my welcome to that of Corey's. If you're visiting, we're so glad that you're here. We come to this special time in our service in just a moment where we're going to take up an offering. But before we do that, I just want to share you quickly, we're going to reveal some more puzzle pieces this morning on uh, what is coming over here in this property. Let's go. I think we got it. Okay. All right. Maybe... Okay, there you go. That's it. That's all we can show you. So we're going to continue to do that over the next few Sundays. And uh, April uh, the 17th, Easter Sunday, will be the big reveals. We take up our offering this morning. I was thinking about uh, Abraham. We've been going through the book of Genesis studying. And uh, I want to remind you of a principle this morning that most of us know. And the principle is this. The blessings of God always follow obedience. Obedience. Maybe you are like me sometimes and I think, you know, if God would just bless me, I would be generous. If God would do this, I would do this. If God would do that, I would do this. But that's not how Christianity works. That's not how the Bible works. We obey and then God blesses. And so as you obey in your giving today, I pray that the Lord would bless you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. We thank you for the blessings you've already given us. Uh, Too many to mention, Uh, but we thank you so much. And as we demonstrate our thanks to you this morning by giving back a portion to you which really already belongs to you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would receive our obedience and you'd be honored and you'd be pleased. Thank you for the time we have to gather in this service today. Take these offerings and use them to impact our community and our world. In Jesus' name, amen.
Today's scriptures reading is Genesis 39, verse 1 through 16. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards, brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of the, his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with them and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From that time that he put him in charge of his household and all and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his household, in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well, was well built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me, but he refused. Look, he, he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in his household is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil, and how could I sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garments with her and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, My husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me. And I screamed, as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garments beside me and went outside. She put Joseph's garments beside her until her masters came home. God has a lot to teach us today through the life of Joseph, or at least one part of the life of Joseph as we study today. I think about the many things he faced, and I love the first song we're singing today. Letting go of every single dream, I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wondering never changes what you see. I've tried to win this war, I confess. My hands are weary, I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of fight, king of the fight, no matter what I face, you're by my side. And I can almost hear Joseph's words in the chorus. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish you could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I'll trust 
our trust. Our trust in you. For that is the love that Joseph had for God. But can you imagine the love that God had for Joseph? And the purpose he had in Joseph's life. As the ladies played the offertory today, I thought about the words of the song. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all of us. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. If we would allow God to love in us and love through us, there would be no way this property would hold everybody to want to know more about who he is. What a great opportunity we have to learn the scripture, the learns of lives of people that walk this earth, such as Joseph, that we can be enriched by what God did in his life. My goodness gracious. Let's stand in worship as we sing these great songs of the church today.
worship, we think about what we have faced, how that has changed us, and what we're going to face this week. But today, I just want to ask a question. How many of you feel the love of God in your lives? I want you to raise your hands. How many of you feel the love of God in your lives? I share so many times with people, I do not know what people do without God. I don't know how they make it. Because with God, we have faced overcome things that I never thought we could get through. I have faced things, and my wife and I and our family, we have faced things that I thought that was it. But God has always seen us through it. Just in the life of Joseph, as we're studying, Joseph was just a man. But guess what? We are just men and women. And God wants to use us. And God wants to do a great work within us. Before Jack comes and preaches today, I want you to sing about the love of God. (laughs) Glorify thy name, Lord. And in that you're saying, thank you, Lord, for loving me. For it says in the scripture, if, if you don't praise the Lord, the rocks themselves will cry out. I don't want a rock crying out for me. Not at all. So let's church, let's, let's sing this again and let's praise the Lord and let's sing to his name. Glorify God and all that he does for us. Let's sing this again.
Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's message. Good morning, church family. I love you today, love. Love to hear you all singing. We could, just, we could just sing that over and over again for 30 minutes, and I could just shut my eyes and listen to you sing, and that'd be plenty for me. So, But we're going to do more than that. So if you have your Bible... If you'll open with me as we continue our study in Genesis, uh, we are going to look at Genesis 39. Uh, While you're turning there, let me say thank you to uh, again to our weekday team. We had a great weekday Sunday last Sunday. There's still some items over here. If you would like to take some artwork home and support the ministry of uh, the weekday program, you can do that today. Uh, Also, let me say uh, there was quite a crowd here Thursday night with our Department of Transportation as they informed us of the upcoming wonderful road work. Uh, So um, I'm not sure if um, a bicycle is going to be easier to take to get here, or maybe just walking. You might get here quicker walking than you can in a car, as the traffic in the the road construction will begin uh, later in uh, the summer, the beginning of the summer. But um, we will keep you up to date on that. We had a great day yesterday with our work day, and I want to say thank you to those of you who came out and... uh, and helped us get going. I talk to a lot of people who sometimes think, or I'll hear comments like this about the Bible and about Scripture. Oh, that's just a nice book, and everything in there is always quaint and beautiful and happy, and it's just a fairy tale land that people live in. And I want to say to those people, obviously you have not read the Old Testament. And obviously you've not read the book of Genesis. Because if you see some of the things that happen in Genesis among family dynamics... And uh, when we last left our story with Joseph, he had been sold uh, to, uh, by his brothers. And we're going to just kind of pick up the story there in just a minute. Chapter 38 is kind of like switches scenes. So I want to encourage you sometime to read chapter 38. Because it tells the story of uh, one of his other brothers, Judah. The one that uh, actually suggested that they sell Joseph. And if you read chapter 38, you'll find out about all kinds of things dealing with uh, impropriety and immorality and prostitution and so the bible is not this you know glamorous book that's just full of all beautiful stories Uh, it's full of stories of life and real people and the things that they go through and so uh, we're going to pick up the story uh, with chapter 39 and pick back up with joseph's story thank you uh, timothy uh, for reading that to us uh, this morning we're going to we're going to read it again because there's a lot of content here and we'll eventually get to the end of the chapter so if you've got a bible or your phone app your bible app open it up to Genesis 39 here we go Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh the captain of the bodyguard bought him from the Ishmaelites you remember they picked him up when our story last ended the brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites Apparently some time has passed and now Potiphar has bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites. In verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Now let me stop. 
As we're reading these verses, I want you to just kind of make a mental note of how many times you hear the phrase, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord, because you're going to hear it multiple times. And the Lord was with him. Verse 2, was with Joseph. He became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and he became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. And it came about from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. I was reading that this morning. I got to stop again because I was reading that this morning. There's many times I often enjoy the blessings of life and I think, oh, I must have done something great that pleased the Lord. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes not. Sometimes the blessings of life I receive are because someone else has been obedient and faithful. Just a reminder, we're reaping some of the blessings of God from the faithfulness and obedience of people who have long gone before us here at Crossroads. I just, that kind of hit me as I read that verse this morning. So the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph, and thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and the field. Verse 6, so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He's put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in the house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How can I do this great evil and sin against God? And it came about, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, that he did not listen to her, to lie beside her, be with her. But it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. Verse 12, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of the house and said, See... He's brought in this Hebrew for us to make sport of us. He came in me into me to lie with me. And I screamed. And it came about when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed that he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. And she left his garment beside her until his master came home. We'll kind of finish the story in just a little bit. But if you haven't figured it out, this morning we are going to be talking about uh, a very important issue Uh, In our culture, and that question is this, how do we live in purity? I I am uh, burdened by the young people in this room. By our high school, junior high, elementary, high school, college students. Because we live in a culture that is bombarding us, and us as adults too, with visual stimuli and technology and all these things to to very easily help us live a life of impurity. And yet God's, God's standard is He wants us to live a life of purity. I, I want to tell you this morning, this is not going to be an easy message for me to share. I'm not a poster child of somebody who's always done this right. 
But God's desire for us is to live in purity. And not just when it comes to physical purity or sexual purity. It's purity in our speech, purity in our conduct, purity in our thoughts, purity in our actions, purity with the way we do business, purity in our relationships, purity, purity. So I was thinking about that this morning. And I started to get a little thirsty. I need a couple of volunteers. Anybody want to volunteer? Haley, you want to volunteer? Are you sure? You look like you want to. Come on up here and join me for a nice ice cold cup of water. Come on up here. How about one more? Another volunteer? Well, we'll just stand here together. Just have a little sip of water for a second. Oh, nothing like a refreshing cup of water, right? Glass of water. Nope. Just have another one. Mm. That's good. Thank you. I was kind of parched. Is that enough for you? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. One of these glasses of water came from the purified water thing in the kitchen. The other one The other one I scooped out of the uh, toilet in the men's bathroom. The sad picture is I'm not sure which one is which. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You know, you look at those glasses of water and they look, they look kind of similar. My grandfather used to have this saying growing up, you can, the Lord can strike a straight lick with a straight stick, but he'd much rather, uh, with a crooked stick, but he'd much rather have a straight stick to strike a straight lick. Try saying that three or four times fast. The Lord can strike a straight lick with a crooked stick, but he'd much rather have a straight stick to strike a straight lick. And what he was saying is, God would much rather you live a life of purity. He can use all of us, and he does use all of us, because there's none in here righteous, no, not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. But thank God for the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. But when you look at the life of Joseph, you learn a lot from this passage about purity. When I was in high school, I had a friend of mine who worked for a uh, potato chip company and a cereal company. And his job was, as the grain would come in from the train station and the big um, carts that were on the railroad tracks would have the grain and the cereal mix and all that stuff in it, his job was he would walk across the very top of the train cars and they would have this stick with little baskets on it. His job was you would stick this long pole down into the basket, into the train car, twist it, pull it up, and it would get little samples of the cereal or the grain. And his job was to take this and to be inspected. And here's what his job was. His job was to take it, to be inspected, to determine if it had not passed the legal limit of contaminants. Mind you, his job was not to determine if it had any contaminants but to find out if it had passed the legal limit of contaminants. And so he's telling me this, and I'm like, what do you mean? And he began to describe the things that you will often find in a train car. And I'm not trying to discuss you this, this, this morning. Okay, maybe I am to make a point. But he would tell me there were things in there, feces and fly wings and fill in the blank. 
And I, I don't want to spoil your lunch, but surprise, surprise, anything that you eat that's out of a box has a legal limit of contaminants in it. It's not 100% pure. When he first told me that story, I said, man, I'm not eating Frito-Lay chips ever again in my life. I can't believe you told me that. You ruined it. You ruined it. I can't eat Funyuns anymore. You ruined it. But that's in our world. And what's scary is not only is it allowable in things like cereal and grain. Church family, hear me this morning. We allow it in our lives. And we kind of say, oh, we're going to allow a certain amount of contaminants in our life. As long as it doesn't derail our life away from God. Or as long as we can just run back to God and ask for forgiveness, and we can. Then we'll allow that in our life. I'll allow that in my life. And as much as the contaminants of grain and cereal disgust us to think that that's in what we eat. It should disgust us more when we allow that kind of stuff in our lives. When I allow that kind of stuff in my life. And the world has a very strong agenda to get us to kind of glaze our eyes over and start to accept it. It's happening in our society right now. How is it that someone who's physically created and made by God as a man wins the NCAA Women's Swimming Championship? Where is the church on these issues? Because we're pretty much quiet. And we wonder why the, the, the needle keeps getting moved and the bar keeps getting lowered. It's because the church, generally speaking, has just decided we're going to allow a certain amount of contaminants in our world and we're going to be happy with it. Thank God. We have a picture here in the scripture of a man who said, no, 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 that's not going to happen on my watch. It's an interesting story, too, because uh, unlike sometimes in our world, Ladies, the aggressor in this story is a female. Kind of find that interesting. Because most of the time, the, the finger is pointed at men. Who are the ones who kind of fall prey into impurity and pushing the envelope and harassment and fill in the blank. But this story is actually about a woman who does that to a man. Which tells me that it can happen both ways. It can happen with men being inappropriate and treating women as objects instead of the gift of God that they are. And it can equally happen when women treat men with disrespect. And so Joseph comes into this situation and it's interesting what his reaction is. And so I want us to look at it this morning. She comes into him in verse 7 and says to him, he's there, he's in charge, he's in command right under Potiphar. And she says to him in verse 7, she looks at him with desire and says, lie with me. And in verse 8, here's what he said. He refused and said, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He's put everything in charge. The very first thing that he does, I believe from what we see in the scripture is, he immediately takes captive every thought. So that's number one on, on the list this morning. He takes captive every thought. He says, no. Not going to do that. 
How could I do that? My master's left me here in charge. No, no, he grabs captive his thought. He didn't flirt to her. We don't read anything in this passage that he thinks, well, nobody's around. I'll just flirt. It won't be a big deal. I'll just kind of say something to her, give some kind of innuendo. He doesn't speak in a provocative manner. He does nothing like that. I, I don't know what she was wearing. We don't know all that in the story. But Joseph didn't even think twice. One of my mentors growing up said, there's, there's kind of, with guys, there's this, I, I'm not going to give you a biology lesson this morning, so don't worry. But with guys, it, there's these ways that when we see things, God wired us this way, that we're turned on by what we see, that uh, this young man who taught me this when I was a teenager said, you have the glance, you have the gaze, and you have the gawk. And as a man, when you see a beautiful woman, you can respond a lot of different ways. You can glance and go, wow, what a beautiful creation God made right there. And you can keep on moving. Or you can glance and then your glance can turn into a gaze or you're just like. And then you can get move into the gawking where your mouth falls open and you're drooling and you're just, you've, 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 you're in trouble at that point. And probably Joseph knew himself well enough to know what could happen if he allowed himself to move beyond the glance. And so he took captive the thought of what is going through his mind. And he did not flirt with her. And guys, we have the responsibility, men of Crossroads, we have the responsibility to treat women with respect. There is a world watching, looking, longing, I believe, begging to see godly men treating women the way God intended for them to be treated. Equally, I believe, ladies, that the world is watching uh, us as godly women to see how we should act as godly women. How are you dressing? I have a friend who will be here in the fall. We rescheduled our couples retreat. His name is Foster Christie. He played football for Auburn. And he told me the story one time. He's in the checkout at the grocery store with his daughter at the time. She was about five. And they've got the latest issue of the National Enquirer, whatever the tabloid magazine is, is on there. And there's a very provocative dressed lady on the front of it. And he keeps feeling his little girl pulling at his coat while he's in line and he's like sweetheart hang on a minute I'm trying to pay and she keeps pulling on it and she points to the provocative magazine and she looks at her daddy and she says daddy she's not dressed very modest is she he said no sweetheart she's not I can't imagine the responsibility some of you in this room have who have kids who are eight nine ten years old especially young ladies but I want to remind you you've got a responsibility to teach them about Things like modesty. Because the world is looking. And unfortunately now in our society and in our culture we have these wonderful uh, technological devices where we can, uh, all kinds of things can happen on these devices and nobody knows. Or so we think. Somebody knows because it all goes into a computer somewhere and it's all registered. I'm not trying to be vulgar this morning, but I want to say this to you, especially if you're a young man in this congregation. There is no condom for the brain. There's things that friends of mine showed me when I'm a teenager, when I was a teenager, 
that at just the right time, the enemy of God will bring to my mind, even though those things have been 35, 40 years ago, and they'll come to my mind, and they'll be just as crystal clear. Don't tell me Satan doesn't have a plan. He does. Whatever goes in here will come out somewhere. And Joseph, (laughs) maybe he knew that. Maybe he knew that every stronghold, as we studied when we studied the book of Ephesians, every stronghold starts right here. If you lose here, if you lose here, for guys, if you lose here, you lose here. If you lose here, you lose here, you lose here, you lose. It's over. And oh, that I could turn back the clock on things that have come across my mind. Sometimes it's not even necessarily that we're seeking those things. You put in a Google search for something that's, you know, cabinets. And the next thing you know, there's visual images and you're going, well, I, I was just trying to find out where to buy cabinets. And now all of a sudden this stuff's on my computer screen. What else did Joseph do? Joseph made this comment. Not only did he take captive every thought, but in verse 9 he says this. There is no one greater in this house than I. And my, my king, my leader, my ruler in this house, he's withheld nothing from me except you. There's nobody greater than me in this house. What he's saying and what I believe that God's teaching us through this passage through Joseph's life is he's also remembering what he has to lose. Joseph remembered his responsibility. My master does not know what uh, is with me in the house. He's committed everything in this house to me. It's under my charge. He remembered how much he had to lose. And today, whether you're married or whether you're, maybe you're even a single person here, you find yourself today a student, you have a lot to lose if you fall to impurity or you fall to what Satan wants you to do. You've got your innocence, you've got your heart, you've got the capacity, capacity to truly give yourselves to the one that you will truly love one day forever that God will bring across your path, hopefully in the process of marriage. And so you remember what he had to lose. There's nobody greater in the house than me. Maybe he's thinking, where did I, I came from? I was in a pit and now I'm, I'm, I'm the commander of this household. I'm right under Potiphar. Don't forget, Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. So there's some time that's passed by. Most biblical scholars kind of guesstimate at this point in the story that we read here, he's probably in his late 20s, maybe almost 30. We know when we get to, to Genesis chapter 41, the scripture will tell us he's 30 years old. So he's probably somewhere in his late 20s. So already for maybe a decade... He's been trying to honor God and be obedient to God. And so when this happens, his immediate thought is, no, I'm not going to uh, say yes to you. I'm going to take captive this evil thought that's coming across my brain, which goes to remind all of us that when you think a bad thought, that's not a sin. When you act on the bad thought, that's a different story. And the enemy's great at getting us to think wrong things. Now, if you kind of have a wrong thought come across your mind, an evil thought, an impure thought come across your mind, and you kind of let that thought sit there for a while, and you kind of play out all the scenarios in your mind. Well, at that point, yes, you've crossed over into the line of sin. So Joseph remembered what he had to lose, but he also says a little bit more than that in this verse. Here's, I, I love this. There's no one greater in this house than I, and he, 
has withheld nothing from me except you. And here's a key line. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great evil and sin against God? So not only did he remember what he had to lose, he remembered what belonged to, belongs to him and who he was. You might say his identity. And dear church family, what I'm learning, I have not learned it yet. But what I am learning is the more I understand who I am in Jesus, the more I understand my identity in Christ, the easier it is to say no to sin. Because I realize that's not me. And that's not who my daddy wants me to be. And I start to understand who God's created me to be. It's easy for me to say no to sin. I think Joseph knew well. Maybe he had been through, no doubt, the, the forges of trial and affliction for at least a decade that we know of. Uh, after being sold out, out of the pit into slavery. Maybe he had gone through some testing and some fires to realize, no, I know who I am in Jesus. I know who I am. And I am persuaded that I can trust in the Lord. Joseph remembered who she was. Because he says to her, you are his wife. You're not my wife. You are his wife. She didn't belong to Joseph. She was given to another. You know, growing up, I used to love little Debbie fudge stripes. You know what I'm talking about? Little Debbie cakes. And just in between those two cakes, that thin layer of little cream chocolate. I used to love those. And my mom and dad knew that I loved those, and so they would buy those for me. My sister kind of liked them. I remember coming home one day from school, and we had, a, we had our list of chores, which I highly recommend. We had our list of chores. I went to do some of my chores. I came back in. I'm looking for my little Debbies. And I go over to where my little Debbies are, and I see the box. And I reach into the cabinet to grab the box. And that box is very, very light. As a matter of fact, the box is totally empty. But someone had just conspicuously just set it there. So if somebody just kind of nonchalantly opened the door, they would think, oh, there's, there's Jack's little Debbies. They're okay. But no, they were not okay. They had been stolen. They had been eaten. Now, to this day, no one in the household has taken... Uh, credit for that. No one has admitted it. But I know. I know because I found the crumbs in her bedroom. I know. I know. She took something that wasn't hers. I've forgiven her. We've moved on. I saw a counselor. I'm going to be okay. But my friend, taking something like that from someone when it doesn't belong to you is nothing compared to what we're talking about and what God is telling us through the life of Joseph. And what's interesting, if you study the history and the culture of ancient Egypt, you'll find out that there were very low expectations for women because they didn't think a lot about women. So there were very low expectations of women. And people, for the most part, pretty much assumed that women would carry on, even outside their marriage relationship, that they would have flings and they would do whatever they want. So the reality is, if you know about culture and you know about history, then you'll probably discern from the matter that Potiphar's wife wasn't even really looking for a real relationship. She was just looking for, as we would say in modern day vernacular, a good one night stand. That's what she was looking for. A good time, a little fling. 
And isn't it interesting that we sometimes think in 2022 that this is a new thing when people think that they want to just have a fling or they just want to, you know, have a one-night stand. No, my dear friends, this has been going on since the very beginning of time because we're human and we're fallen. And what we have to remind ourselves is that what the Bible teaches, and if we believe the Bible to be true, then it is true both biblically and lived out in our life, is that sex is far better in a committed married relationship than it is outside of that and in a one-night fling. So I love what Joseph says here. Not only does he say, I can't do this because you're his wife, perhaps the most powerful thing that he says in this passage is, how can I even do this great evil and sin against God? Which brings us to the fourth thing that we have to do. We have to call sin, sin. Joseph remembered what sin actually was. This great wickedness. It's interesting in our culture. We've talked about this, I think, even back in the earlier uh, chapters of Genesis. That in our culture, we have redefined things. If someone is hostile or they, don't, they, they can't control their temper, we like to say, oh, they're just, they're just self-expression. They're just expressing themselves. If someone is really prideful, then we say, oh, they just have a really good self-esteem. Or if we're doing everything in the world to get ahead and to keep up with the Joneses, we like to say we're just pressing on because we're accomplishers and we're high achievers instead of maybe the reality is we're just covetous. And then we have things like the alternative lifestyle, which is actually a perversion. The world's redefined all these words. They've redefined relationships and they've contaminated the purity of who Jesus wants us to be. Anti-abortion is what they call those of us who are pro-life. Our partner, this is just my partner, instead of my spouse or my married spouse. We've changed the definition of things. But Joseph says, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? Wow, what a great question. And that's the fifth thing that he says in that verse. He's remembering that sin is against God. It's probably, think think about what's going on here. It's probably a very risk, a low risk situation that he's in. Because everybody, and I can't remember which verse it says, uh, everybody is out of the house. It happened one day, verse 11, that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men in the household were there. Very rare, very almost an impossibility that there would not be a servant in the house of Potiphar and they would all be gone at the same time. I think, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I think, and biblical scholars seem to agree, that probably she set this whole thing up. She made sure nobody was inside at the time. Because she had already tried it one time and he said, no, I'm going to make sure nobody's around. Maybe if it's a low-risk situation and only he and I know, then he'll, he'll say yes, he'll, he'll fall into this. Young people. Be careful. 
many situations will look like they're low risk, risk free, maybe even propositions from the devil. Nobody will know. Just you'll, you'll, you'll be the only one that knows. How deceitful the enemy is. And Joseph cared more, uh, cared about more than just getting caught. He knew that the eyes of God were watching, and he had a real enough relationship with God to say, I'm not going to do this. How could I sin against God? Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said it this way. I love this quote. When I regarded God as a tyrant, I thought sin a trifle. But when I knew him to be my father, then I mourned that I could ever have kicked against him. When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found out God was good and overflowing with compassion, I hit my chest to think that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so much. Anytime we sin, it's against God. It may be in the secret places that we think nobody else knows about, but God knows. Next thing we see here in these next few verses is what happens and what came about is she spoke to Joseph day after day. I wish Moses had written in a little bit more detail there. I mean, is that day after day for a week, for weeks, for months? How long was it? It was day after day. It was repeated over and over. She kept saying, come on, come to bed with me. Come have sex with me. Come lie with me. Over and over and over again. What that tells me, young people and adults, is the enemy is going to be relentless trying to get us to sin and to fall and do what he wants us to do. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. It's his tactic, it's his mode, is to be over and over again trying to get us to fall to what he wants us to do. And yet Joseph kept saying, no, no. Let me say it another way, in case you don't get it, Potiphar's wife. No. Nope. Not going to happen. But she still tried. And maybe, I don't know. Can only relate to the story as a guy, as a man, but I imagine that there probably were some times when it took every amount of energy in his body to say no. Even though he might have felt like saying yes, he kept saying no, 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 no. We don't know what degree she went to with her temptation, but I know Satan. I can only imagine. When none of the men were there in the house, verse 11, there's no telling what she did. Joseph went into this house to do his work. Nobody was inside, and that is the point where where she gives him another opportunity. And Potiphar's wife knew, and she was very frustrated because Joseph avoided her yet again. And so what does she do? He runs off. With, the, with his garment still in her hand, he runs off. The first streaker in the Bible, there he is, right there. He runs off, there she is holding his cloak, and so she yells out to the other men of the household, which must have been somewhere nearby that she had conveniently asked to stay out of sight for a while. Oh, I wish we knew all the scenarios of stories that could have happened here. 
Maybe if Joseph had said yes, maybe she had them on cue just at the moment of time where it would have been the most inappropriate for her to just say, hello, and all of a sudden the servants to come out from behind the curtains or come out from behind the corner, and boom, there he would have been busted. And so he runs off. And at that point, she calls out in verse 14 to the men of her household and says, Hey, look, see, he's brought in this Hebrew to make sport of us. He came into me to lie with me, and I screamed. And it came about when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, and he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. It's been interesting to be a private investigator on the scene of this discussion and been to the person to interview all the people that were there because had she screamed and the servants were close enough by, then they would have heard her scream, but there was no scream. Yet that's what she says. And luckily the last thing that we see Joseph do and correctly do is he, he ran, flee. I'd love to tell you that when you do what God tells you to do, things always work out right, work out great. If you know the life of Joseph, you know that that's not exactly what happened here. What happened? Well, let's find out. Verse 17, she spoke to him with these words when her master came home. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And it happened as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garments beside me and he fled. It came about when the master heard the words of his wife, verse 19. He, she said, this is what your slave did to me. His anger burned, the master's anger, Potiphar's anger burned. And Joseph's master took him and put him into jail. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail, but the Lord was with Joseph. Did we say that phrase would be in there again? There it is again. And extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners. No, you're in charge of Potiphar's place. Now you're in jail. You're in charge of the jail. You're in charge. So that whatever was done there, Joseph was responsible for it. Verse 23, the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge. Why is that, Pastor Jack? Because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. The Lord was with him. I don't know what God would speak to your heart this morning as you hear this story of Joseph. Maybe for you, it conjures up a lot of memories that you didn't want brought to the forefront. I understand. Maybe for you it's a reminder that God wants us to to walk in a life of purity. Maybe if you're a young person here, or a parent of a young person this morning, maybe your response needs to be as a family, you come down to the front and you say, you know what, we're going to do everything within our power to commit ourselves and help our kids walk a life of purity. Because it's hard. And mom and dad, I'll just tell you, if if you're doing that in a passive way in the culture in which we live today, you're in trouble. You got to be proactive. You got to be defensive. Maybe that's how God would have you respond. Maybe this morning you come and you're like, wow, I've already crossed that line so many times and fallen into impurity. There's no hope for me. Guess what? I have good news for you. There is hope for you because there's one that lived who never sinned, who lived a life of a hundred percent purity. His name is Jesus. And when you give your life to him, you take on all the things 
and all the characters of him through the blood of Christ. Some would say, uh, Pastor Jack, what's the church word? Some would say, well, it's justified. You become justified by your faith in Jesus. I had somebody tell me growing up, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That's good. That's actually only half of the good news. Because when you accept Christ, it's not just as if you'd never sinned. It's just as if you did everything 100% right. Because you take on the purity of God because you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. So maybe today you feel like you're dirty. Maybe you feel like your water came out of the bathroom toilet and you're impure. You know what? One drop of the blood of Jesus makes us white as snow. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your love for us. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. Because, Lord, I'd love to stand here and say, I'm the poster child for purity. Lord, you desire us to live a life of purity. The world is watching. And not just because the world is watching, but because of the benefits of living a life of purity for us. Lord, I think about the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 119 when he said, How in the world shall a man make himself pure? And Lord, you answer by living according to the word of God. Would you help us today? Would you help us, Lord? Would you help us be honest with you today? Father, I'm convinced that when we're honest with you, that's when you start to do incredible things in our lives. What's so funny is you already know. We can't pull the wool over your eyes. You already know. We're just, we're just faking ourselves out or trying to. Would you help us be honest this morning? Church family, I, for me, this is a hard message. Maybe you're going, yeah, it was for me too. While you're praying, I'm going to ask you in just a minute just to quietly and reverently stand to your feet. And I'm just going to ask this morning our musicians just to play. Not even for you to have to worry about singing. But in just a minute after I pray, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you need to slip out of that seat, come down front and kneel and pray, that's fine. That's great. That's why we're here. If you need to grab somebody's hand and pray, I'll be here. I'm going to ask Corey, our ministry intern, to come down. And there'll be others in this church family that would love to pray with you. If you're a mom or dad this morning, maybe you, you already know, I don't have to tell you, you already know the crazy world we live in. And you'd commit this morning to help your kids live a life of purity. I don't know what that looks like in your household. I'm happy to help you think through that. Maybe this morning you need to come to the altar and say, Lord, forgive me, I've messed up. The good news is because of the blood of Jesus, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray this morning that you would have your way. Lord, I, I don't know what you would have for us to do this morning, so we trust you. Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of our people, my friends in this place and in my heart, Lord. As we're honest before you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you silently, reverently just stand to your feet? I ask if you would just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And if you need to 
respond in any way this morning. I'll be here at the front waiting. You can come pray at the front as well. Let's pray together. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.
ask our musicians to continue to play one more stanza. This is for you. One more stanza. If you need to respond to the Lord this morning, here waiting. look at me church family I love you I love you I, I, I will be honest as you know I am by now I often leave church on Sunday driving home asking myself this question Lord did we obey you not Lord did they obey you Lord did we did we obey you I hope that you did this morning. I know it's a difficult topic to think about, uh, but we live in a life where, uh, in a world where purity is not uh, lifted up like it should be. So I'm praying for you. If I can help you in any way, I know our staff would echo that. And if I can pray with you, please reach out to me and uh, let me know. Speaking of uh, prayer uh, and celebration, I had the opportunity, I guess, two weeks ago uh, on this Sunday morning, actually right when the service was starting, to uh, pray with a, a couple of new friends that I've got, and I'm grateful that they are, are here this morning. Uh, Matt and Courtney Corby uh, are here. They've gone through our new members class, and uh, two weeks ago I got to pray with them, and they received the Lord Jesus. And so they're here this morning. Can we give you guys a hand? We are glad to welcome you guys, and uh, their daughter is here with them, Marilyn. And uh, be praying for them as they get plugged into the life of, the, of our church. Uh, they were sharing with me, wow, it's kind of scary to come stand up in front of all those people. I said, you should try it every single week. Trust me. <laughs> Some of them are scary to look at. But uh, anyway, so we are so grateful for what God's doing in their life. And uh, our prayer is that we will help you all grow uh, as disciples of Jesus. And you'll help us grow. So we're looking forward to uh, doing some life together. So great. Awesome. Tonight, don't forget, 5 o'clock, our Disciple Life classes continue. And uh, what else am I forgetting? Anything? Announcement-wise. Grab an announcement sheet. There's a lot going on in the life of our church. Tons of summer stuff. There's a sign-up back here for our Bennettsville a summer mission trip. If you're looking for a slot uh, to go serve, just going for a couple of days. So if, if your struggle has been getting off a full week of work, you don't have to. Just a couple of days. All right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. Uh, thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church. Go with us during our Sunday school and small group time. And uh, keep uh, speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.